And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour, it's the conclusion to The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. Then it's a sci-fi drama by Isaac Asimov on X-1, starring Bob Hastings. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Happy to be here, as always. All right, let's tune this in. The conclusion now to The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet from September 30th, 1945. Well, uh, I better take this pile of dishes away. Oh, before I go, I knew there was something I wanted to tell you. You know that drain in the sink that we've had so much trouble with? Yes. Well, there was something left in some of the glasses, and I poured them into the sink. It's not clogged up anymore. (laughs) I'll see you later. Harriet, did you hear that story Gloria told about the drink in the automobile? Yes, I thought it was very funny. You didn't think it was an exaggeration? Well, what do you mean, Ozzie? I simply mean that you've become so accustomed to exaggerations, dear, that you don't even notice them anymore. Now, take that fantastic story I told you before about a guy eating 135 eggs, 10 loaves of bread, 6 dozen wheat cakes, and 50 quarts of milk in one meal. It didn't even surprise you. Well, why should it surprise me? I've had your relatives over for dinner. (laughs) Your Uncle Peter could eat that guy under the table and then eat the table right off of him. The last time your Uncle Peter had dinner here, you could reconstruct the skeleton of a cow from the bones in his plate. Harriet, it so happens that my Uncle Peter hasn't even got any teeth. Then I got news for you. He gummed us out of 40 red points. (laughs) Harriet, I'm merely trying to show you how foolish it is to exaggerate things. I know you don't mean any harm, but it's little things. Like the price of a dress, the age of a piece of antique furniture. Oh, my goodness. What's the matter, dear? Gee, I almost forgot the antique man's coming this morning. Antique man? Harriet, you're not going to do the living room over again, are you? Well... But, Harriet, I had a hard time wearing those chairs down so they'd fit me. Why, it would be like selling a part of me. A very important part to me. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure I'm going to do it, honey. And even if I do, I'll be haggling for at least a month with the antique dealers. Maybe I change my mind. Excuse me, will you, dear? But, Harriet, I haven't finished. Oh, you don't mind eating alone, do you? I mean about the exaggerating. Oh, that. I promise never to do it again as long as I live. There's an exaggeration right there. I'm going to cure her of that exaggerating if it's the last thing I do. And there's a distinct possibility it'll be the last thing I do. (laughs) 
Ozzy seems to have quite a problem on his hands trying to figure out a way to cure Harriet of her tendency to exaggerate things. Right now, he's out on the front lawn thinking things over and hunting for devil grass when the Bobby Socks department from next door calls to him. Hello, Mr. Nelson. Oh, hello there, Emmy Lou. How are you doing with that devil grass? Oh, pretty good. I wish that was my only problem. Oh, something serious? Well, no, not really, but it's something that might eventually prove embarrassing. Could I be of any help? I've got $9 saved up out of my allowance. Oh, well, thanks very much, but that's not what I meant this time. You see, I've been trying to prove something to Mrs. Nelson. So far, I've been completely unsuccessful. What's it about? It's this business of exaggeration, Emmy Lou. Why do women exaggerate anyway? Women don't exaggerate, Mr. Nelson. They don't. No. It's just that after they get done telling the truth, they keep on talking. (laughs) Yes, it does sound pretty reasonable, but I still don't understand it. Well, I'll try to explain it to you, Mr. Nelson. Suppose I'm introduced to some boy and he's really an absolute goon. Do you imagine for one moment that I'm going to tell my girlfriends that I met a goon? Of course not. I tell him that I met the most divine man, an utterly handsome, simply super dreamboat. Oh, and then they think he's quite a guy, huh? Oh, no. Then they know he's a gooner. I wouldn't have said all that. <laughs> Emmy Lou, you're going to make some man a fine wife. You're confusing already. <laughs> Let's get back to my problem. How am I going to stop Mrs. Nelson from exaggerating? Well, let me see now. Oh, I have an idea. You could... No, that wouldn't work. See, how does this sound to you? You could... No, that wouldn't work. Say, maybe I could... No, that wouldn't work either. (laughs) It really is a problem, Mr. Nelson. Maybe I was on the right track before when I was exaggerating things to show her how silly it sounded. That sounds like a good idea. I know, but it didn't work. Maybe I wasn't exaggerating the right things. Maybe I should get something she cares more about. Who's that man going into your house? Oh, it's probably the antique dealer. Are you getting new furniture? Well, Mrs. Nelson thinks so. Wouldn't be new anyway. It'd just be different old furniture. She's going to sell a few things to him, I think. Oh. As I was saying, if there were only... Hey, wait a minute. That's it. Antiques. Now, that's something that Harriet's crazy about. What are you going to do, Mr. Nelson? Boy, have I got an idea. When he tries to buy a piece of furniture, I'll put a figure on it that's so ridiculous he won't buy anything. That'll show Harriet where exaggeration can get you. That's a wonderful idea, Mr. Nelson. Go ahead. No, 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 not yet. First, I'll wait till he's in the house and looking over something he seems to like. Then I'll come in with the surprises. By the time I get through, George Washington will have slept on every antique we have in the house, including the chandelier. (laughs) Mrs. Nelson? Yes. Are you Mr. Johnson from the antique shop? Oh, no, no. My name is Clark. I'm from the county tax assessor's office. (laughs) Just dropped in to get an estimate on your furniture so we can figure out your tax. Won't hurt at all. This year we're using Novocaine. You certainly seem happy at your work. Oh, I've been at it a long time. Know it like a book. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> when I start assessing, I ain't just a-guessing. <laughs> if it's got to be done, it's got to be done. Here's the living room. Go ahead and assess. Yeah, okay, I'll start with this table here. Well, it's very nice. Looks moderately priced. 
I'd say fifty uh, dollars. That's about right. Oh, hello, dear. Oh, hello, Harriet. Ozzy, this is Mr. Clark. How do you do? I was just looking this table over, Mr. Nelson. Your wife and I figure it's worth about fifty dollars. Fifty dollars? Are you kidding? This table is worth five thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars. Ozzy. Is this on the level? Absolutely. Well, take your word for it, but uh, it just looks like an ordinary table to me. As a matter of fact, it was originally a footstool used by an old Scottish knight, eight feet tall. <laughs> of course, the knights were longer in those days. Here, uh, Mr. Clark And is I from suppose the... you think this piano here is an ordinary piano? Well, it looks like a regular piano. Well, sir, this is one of the most valuable antiques in all America. This happens to be the very piano that the finance company took back from Franz Schubert. <laughs> Amazing. Are you sure of that? Well, why do you think he never finished the unfinished symphony? <laughs> Say, I was wondering why he hadn't written anything lately. <laughs> Ozzy, why don't you let Mr. Clark judge these things himself? My wife is very modest about it, but practically everything in this room is a rare treasure. Oh, brother. Hey, I'd, uh, I'd better mark some of these things down. Do uh, you have a pencil? Well, here, you can borrow my pen. Thanks. Now, uh, what would you say that piano and bench were worth, Mr. Nelson? Oh, really, Mr. Clark? Well, that's hard to say. Let me see. I tell you what, just put down any large figure. You won't be more than a few hundred thousand off. <laughs> well, if you insist, I'll just... Whoop. <laughs> say, one thing I know ain't a rare antique is this pen you just handed me. <laughs> Look, I got ink all over my hands. <laughs> and besides, it's got the initial N on it for Nelson. Mr. Clark. N also stands for Napoleon, you know. It just so happens that was Napoleon's favorite pen. You mean he got ink on his fingers, too? Why do you think he kept his hand inside his coat all the time? My, my, my. Say, uh, Mrs. Nelson, you know, you haven't entered the conversation. I'm a little sorry I entered the room. <laughs> She's very modest about all this. Well, things, you know. so much for the antiques. Now let's get down to the everyday stuff, like, uh, well, this floor lamp here. Oh, well, that's just Mr. A little... Clark, you have just succeeded not only in picking out one of the most valuable possessions in the house, you have picked out the most valuable. This floor lamp? That's right. This floor lamp, as you so casually put it, was once used by Julius Caesar. Ju oh, now wait a minute. <laughs> Electricity wasn't even discovered then. Now do you see why it's so valuable? <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Well, now tell me, Mr. Nelson, uh, about what would you say the contents of the house are worth? Uh, conservative. Oh, I'd say uh, conservatively. Uh -huh. uh, $450,000. I give up. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Nelson. You've been most cooperative. It's been a pleasure, I'm sure, Mr. Clark. Uh, Mr. Nelson, before I go, may I say just one thing? Go right ahead. Ha ha ha! Silly sort of a fellow, isn't he? But a nice chap. Ozzie Nelson, will you please explain those ridiculous stories you were telling that man? 
The way you were exaggerating. Oh, was I exaggerating? Well, you know you were, and it was very embarrassing to me. Ah, now you begin to understand how embarrassing it is to me when you exaggerate. Darling, I hate to take that big, happy smile off your face, but do you know who that nice man was? Well, certainly the antique man. No, dear. That was the assessor for our personal property tax, and this year it's going to be a honey. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Go on, tell me. I deserve it. Tell me what you think of me. I'm a dope. I'm a moron. Isn't that what you want to tell me? Of course not, darling. You meant well. I think you're the smartest, the sweetest, the cleverest, the handsomest, the most wonderful husband in the whole wide world. Well, at least I got you out of the habit of exaggerating. <laughs> What's that paper you've got there, dear? It's a copy of our tax report. We owe exactly uh, $152,740. And by the way, dear, from now on you'd better wipe your shoes before you come into the house. Our living room alone is worth half a million. Golly. Well, I'd better get down to the tailor shop tonight. The tailor shop? What for? Well, from there you can dig the shortest tunnel under the bank on the corner. <laughs> well, I guess you've suffered long enough, honey. Get that prison pallor out of your face. Our tax bill's very small because Mr. Clark got the correct figures and it's all straightened out. Well, Harriet, that's wonderful, marvelous. How did it happen? Well, all the time you were telling Mr. Clark those ridiculous things about our furniture... Yeah? I was standing behind you making certain widely used motions with my finger and forehead to indicate that your mental development had been arrested rather prematurely. <laughs> And then later, I phoned him to make sure. Well, uh, that's swell, I guess, but, well, just what did you tell him? Well, you understand, dear, we were in a tough spot. Yes, yes, I know. What did you tell him? Uh, in an emergency like this, you have to think fast, you know. I had to say something. Harriet, what did you tell the man? I told him you had a brain the size of a peanut. <laughs> there you go, exaggerating again. <laughs> National Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, invite you to listen again next Sunday to the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet with songs by the King Sisters and music by Ozzie Nelson's orchestra. And don't forget, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. You're right, Harriet. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the Columbia Broadcasting System and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This adventure of Ozzie and Harriet will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were B. Benaderet, John Brown, Joel Davis, Louise Erickson. Original music was composed by Billy May. This is Vern Smith speaking. And that's the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, September 30th, 1945, Exaggeration Troubles, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard is heard on CBS. Let's take a quick break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, don't change the... Gunsmoke. I'm that man. 
Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, now, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to hollywood 360 radio and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. My co-host Lisa Wolf with me. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Carl. Still here. Are you ready for a sci-fi adventure, Lisa? I certainly am. All right. All the best writers wrote for X-1, including... Isaac Asimov. This stars Bob Hastings in The Sea Shoot. It's from February 8th, 1956. Let's fly high with a sci-fi adventure now of X-1. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight's story, The Sea Shoot, by Isaac Asimov. We were on our way home to Earth when it happened. Six of us, coming home as passengers aboard the merchant spaceship Starfire. At the start of the Second Interstellar War, the one between Earth and the planet Chloro. And then it happened. Now hear this. Condition red. Condition red. We are under attack from a Chloran battlecruiser. All hands forward to battle stations. Passengers will remain confined to the after cabin. Condition red. We are being attacked. The interception by the Chloran cruiser, the murderous running jewel of energy blasts and force field defenses. We huddled in the passengers' after cabin, terrified, not knowing how the battle was going. We could hear the desperate bursts of steam through the steering tubes as the Starfire maneuvered to dodge the enemy attacks. And then... Now what? Uh, the beginning of the end, you might call it. Well, what does it mean, Stuart? You were a space pilot? It means our generators have been drained of energy. We can't fight back. But, Monsieur, All right, don't we... worry. They won't destroy us. They need our ship too badly. They'll simply board us and take over. But what about the crew? The crew, Colonel? If they have any sense, they'll surrender. 
If they choose to fight, they'll... Now, they're coming aboard. Now, be very still. Oh, mother in heaven, help well, us. Be still. If only those fools on deck will surrender without a struggle. They are fighting. Yes, it's the end. We've got to help them. All right, don't open that door. We just can't let them die. You can't help them. I'm going. Stop him. All right. Aristide. Shut the door quickly. Aristide, my brother. That poor fool. I'll get them. My brother, I swear to you, I'll get them. Yeah, you better cover his body. The brutes. The monstrous, green-skinned brutes. They're no more brutes than we are, Colonel. This is a war. Are you defending them? I'm merely pointing out the facts. I ought to strangle you. Why not save it for the chloros? I will. I promise you I will. They're probably deciding right now what to do with us. We might as well settle down and wait. We sat there, the five of us. And listened while the Chloran invaders killed off the members of the Starfire's crew. Among us was Colonel Anthony Wyndham, an old Colonel Blimp type with a lame leg. Wyndham had spent his life in the militia back on Earth, but had never seen a battle. There was Demetrius Polyarchitis, who had just watched his brother being killed by a chlorocarbonizer. Polly was a huge man. He and his brother had tried truck farming in Arcturus and given it up after two seasons. Then there was LeBlanc. A sensitive, frightened young man of 22. And Randolph Mullen, who looked like somebody's caricature of a bookkeeper. A mild, balding, milk-toast little man. And there was myself, John Stewart. I was the only one who'd ever had contact with the chloro people. I had a pair of artoplasm hands to prove it. It is quiet now. Yeah, they've finished with the crew. Mr. Stewart? Yes, Mr. Mullen. What do you think will happen next? Well, they'll put a prize crew of two aboard and take us to one of their home planets as prisoners of war. Only two of the Chloros will stay aboard. Uh, two is all they'll need. <laughs> Why, Colonel? You're thinking of leading a gallant raid to retake the ship? Well, simply a point of information, dash it. All right, then let me give you another point of information. If you want to commit suicide quick, just open that bulkhead door. Three steps inside, you'd fall on your face. But why? Don't you smell anything, LeBlanc? Get close to the door. It smells like gas. Yeah, it is gas. Chlorine gas. They breathe it like we breathe oxygen. They've chlorinated the whole cruise compartment. One big whiff of that and we'd all be dead. So just forget about rushing the chloros. How do you know so much about their habits, Stuart? I lived on a chloro planet for six months. You see these hands? They were mangled in the oxygenating machinery of my own quarters. They grew these... Artoplasm things and operated. They're weak, but at least I have hands again. Monsieur Stewart. Yeah. Will they? Will they kill us? No. Why do you say that? Because, in their own way, they're gentlemen. Probably will be interned for the duration. You call them gentlemen? After they killed my brother in cold blood, you call them gentlemen? You know, Stewart. You sound more and more like a blasted greeny sympathizer. Blasted, man. Where's your patriotism and loyalty? My loyalty is where it belongs, with honesty and decency, regardless of the shape of the being it appears in. This is a ridiculous war. Why are we fighting these people? We can live only on planets with oxygen, and oxygen is poison to them. They can live only in chlorine atmosphere, which is deadly to us. 
Yet we're fighting them over a bunch of worthless asteroids that neither of us can live on comfortably. Well, it's, it's a matter of principle. It's a matter of stupid pride and greed. I don't like what you say, mister. Why not? Because you talk too nice about these greeny scum. They're good to you, eh? Well, they weren't good to my brother. They killed him. And I think maybe I'll kill you, you rotten greeny... Right, holy... Mullen, Mullen, grab him. I can't break his hold. They are coming in. Holy, let him go. They saved your life this time. But when I'm finished with them... What? I think they're opening the lock. So don't get between us. Holy, don't lose your head. They'll kill us all. That's the first portion of the sea shoot on X-1. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Let's take a break here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. And now the conclusion to X-1 with the sea shoot. The chloro was not a pleasant sight to anyone unused to it. He was about the height of an Earthman, but the top of him was just a green stalk with eyes. He was still wearing a space suit to protect him from the oxygen in our compartment. In one of his tendrils, he carried a chloran gun. As he stood in the doorway, I could see Polyarchitis' eyes begin to glisten with rage. Then, with a bellow like a huge bull, he threw himself at the chloro. He is not dead. Merely temporarily paralyzed. You five will remain together as prisoners of war. We expect to reach our own planet within several weeks, your time. There you will be interned for the duration of the war. If any of you attempts to leave this compartment, we shall be forced to destroy you. That is all I have to communicate. Hadn't we better do something for Mr. Polyarchides? Oh, he'll be all right. Just hoist him up in the cot. That's good. Hi, Polly. Can you hear me, you stupid brute? His voice is coming back. Now, I know what's going on in that thick skull of yours, Polly. You think that when the paralysis wears off, you'll ease your feelings by slamming me around some more. Well, if you do, it'll be curtains for all of us. How do you mean, sir? None of you know the chloros the way I do. Unlike us, they assume automatically that any group of Earthmen they find together comprises a biological grouping, like an ant colony. The result is that they consider the group as something, well, something holy. Now, they'd never break us up. And if one of us did any harm to another, they'd have us all executed as a bunch of chlorotype perverts, a non-functioning group. So call all the names you want. But keep your hands to yourself or we're finished. My little speech had a sobering effect on the group. For the next 24 hours, we did little besides eat our rations and think. I tried to evaluate them. The colonel I had figured for an old windbag. Polyarchitis was a hate-filled brute. LeBlanc would crack first. It was like a frightened child. Mullen? Mullen was a non-entity. 
a mouse instead of a man. Everything he did seemed prissyish. His voice had the quality of furtively rustling underbrush. How long did you say the trip would take, Mr. Stewart? Well, the chloro said about two weeks. Gentlemen, uh, if I may interrupt. Colonel? Now, it has occurred to me that perhaps you know of some some weakness that might enable us to overcome these chloros. The only weakness they've got is that they can't stand oxygen. Oh, but there must be some way to get the best of the man. After all, there are only two. Before I answer, Colonel, I have to know your motive. Is it to save your own skin or help Earth win the war? Oh, dash it, man, to help our side, of course. What we're looking for is the way to save the ship for Earth without losing our lives, yes? Well, all right, let's take a vote, then. LeBlanc? I... I have a wife waiting on Earth, Mr. Stewart. I do not want to die. Uh Uh-huh. Hero number one. What about you, Mullen? I don't see how we could accomplish it without... Uh Hero number two. Well, Paul Yerkitis... When I kill Glorus, it will be with my bare hands. On their planet, I will kill dozens, I promise you. Uh-huh, three down. Well, Colonel, don't you want to march to glory, an old militia man like you? Your attitude is very cynical and unbecoming, Stuart. I see. Well, then I'll have to blow the ship up myself. Stuart! Don't worry, Colonel. I don't intend to be a dead hero. Of course, there is a way we might do it. What did you say, Mr. Mullen? There's a spacesuit and magnetic boots stored in that locker over there. We might be able to reach the control room from the outside of the ship. The outside? But how would we get outside? Well, this compartment has a sea chute. It must. Uh, what is a, a, a sea chute? A sea chute, my boy, is a casualty chute. It doesn't get talked about much, but all the main compartments have them. They're just little airlocks down which you slide a corpse. Burial in space. Oh, blasted Mullen. Uh, suppose you did get outside. How could you re-enter the ship? Uh, through the steam tubes, the ones they use to guide the ship. Wait a minute, Mullen. What do you know about steam tubes? I thought you were a bookkeeper. Well, on Arcturus, I got interested in spaceship models. I I studied all about them. On my own time, of course. Yeah, yeah, naturally. At, at any rate, I learned that the steam tubes have an access vent directly to the control room for repairs and, and so forth. And the chloros, they are in the control room. Uh, what do you think, Stuart? Well, it's a video sort of idea, but it might just work. We could get permission from the chloros to open the sea chute and bury Paulie's brother. And one of us could slip into it, work forward, and climb up through the steam tube. The question being, which one? What about you? You with your loud talk and your sneers. I'm no hero, Paulie. I've already said that. My object is to stay alive. If the steam tube let go while you were in it, you'd be broiled like a lobster. Now, how about the colonel here? If I were younger, blasted, I'd trounce you. You know very well with my injured leg. Yeah, of course. Not to mention my artificial hands. Well, now, what unfortunate deformities do the rest of us have? Paulie? You just keep talking, Mr. Big Mouth, and pretty soon we'll kick your teeth in. Of course, that's your standard reply to everything, isn't it? LeBlanc, will you do it? I... I cannot. Not even to get back to Denise? Please, I I cannot... LeBlanc needn't go. I'll do it. What? After all, it is my idea. Wait a minute. Are you serious, Mullen? Yes. Well, how... I don't understand. Why? Why you? Well, it... It seems no one else will do it. But that's no reason, man. I can't think of any other. Uh, look here. Do you really intend to go through with it, sir? Yes, I suppose I do. Well, 
Dash it, man. Let me shake your hand. You, you're, you're an earthman by heaven. You do this thing and win or die. I'll bear witness for you. It was quite a moment. Mullen the mouse had suddenly turned into a man. He just stood there awkwardly while the colonel popped his hand. Polyakita seemed stunned. LeBlanc was wide-eyed. And I? Well, I was in a peculiar position, one in which I rarely found myself. I had absolutely nothing to say. That ought to bring them. I hear one. What is it, Earthman? One member of our unit is dead, as you know. We request permission to jettison his body out of the casualty chute. You may do so. You'll have to open the chute lock from the control room. I will do so. Is there anything else? No. Nothing else. Thank you. Oh, boy. All right, come on now. We'll have to work fast. Mulling, get into a space suit from the emergency locker. Polly, help Mom with those magnetic boots. I'm working as fast as I can. The arm. All right, give me the helmet. The helmet. Okay. Now, Mullen, you better scratch your nose if you have to. It's your last chance for a while. What about radio contact? You can talk to us. We'll listen in on the helmet set in one of the other suits. The chloros won't have their set on the interphone frequency. Wait a moment. What for? Dash it, what's he going to use for a weapon? He isn't big enough to fight them barehanded. Oh, no, that's true. Well, how about one of those oxygen cylinders? Good idea. Use it to bash them over the head. Now, give him one of the cylinders equipped with a reducing valve. Now, look, Mullen, if your magnetic boots fail and you start drifting away into space, open this valve. Mm-hmm. See that? Now, you can use it like a miniature jet and try to blow yourself back to the ship. Understand? Uh, I think so. Well, I only hope it works. All right, here goes the helmet. You'd better hurry. The light is on over the sea chute. Yeah. All right. That means I've opened the lock. Here. Can you hear me? Oh, oh, oh. LeBlanc, give me that other space helmet. Yes, here. Let me switch on the radio. Can you hear me, Mullen? I hear you. Fine. Plenty of air? Air's okay. Uh-huh. Polly, open the sea chute. Okay, now help him in. Are ready? Ready. Well, good luck. Close the chute. Pull the ejector valve. Now. He's out. Oh, God help him. The light is out. Yeah. The chloros have closed the chute lock. I... I don't suppose he has much of a chance. No. Do you think... Uh, do you think he knew it? I don't know. I just don't know. Should I, I, I try to contact him on the radio? Yes, I think... Wait a minute. What is it? Listen, the chloro's coming. Good Lord. He's sure to miss Mullen. Yeah, Polly, get your brother's body on the cot. Put a blanket over it. Pretend it's Mullen asleep. Polly, for heaven's sake. My brother. Oh, you've got to do it, man. It's our only chance. Listen, if Mullen could go out there and Very risk Very well. His... I will do it. Earthman. Yes. You have jettisoned the body. Yes. Good. Is there something further we can do? No, I... We are very tired. Our grief 
is very great at losing one of our unit. We would like to rest alone. I will respect your wishes. I see that one of your units sleeps already. Yes, yes, Mr. Mullen was overcome with grief. I leave you. Holy, I thought sure you were going to rush him. With that brave little guy out there, what do you think I am anyway? And to think I laughed at him makes me ashamed. Yeah, I guess... I guess I've been saying some things that maybe weren't too funny. I owe all of you an apology. Do you think it's safe to try the radio? Yeah, we better. Hello? Hello, Mullen. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I hear you. Where are you? I'm standing on the outside of the ship. All right, now take care. One misstep and you'll be marooned in space. Now, can you find the steam tubes? I think I've found one of them already. I can feel the rim. I just hope it doesn't let go when I get inside. Be careful. I'm going into the tube now. I can feel the ladder rungs I used to repair the inside. Now, we'll keep in contact. Good Lord. They've let go with a blast. Oh, well, it may be the starboard tubes. Mullen, Mullen. Still here. They use the other tubes, fortunately. Now, if they don't try to correct for over-deflection... Yeah, keep moving. I seem to be... Wait. Yes, yeah, I'm at the end of the tube now, where it opens into the control room. Good, good. Now, look, there's a small metal door there. Can you feel it? Yes, I... Afraid it's locked from the other side. Oh. I can't budge it. Mullen. Mullen, listen to me. Stuart, I'm scared. I'm terribly scared. Yeah, all right, all right. Now hang on. Don't blow up. Listen to me. Are you listening? Yes. Take the spare oxygen tank. Bang on the metal door that leads to the control room. The chloros are bound to hear you. When one of them comes to investigate, try to hit him with a cylinder. Now aim for the stalk on top of his body. Try to blind him. Will you do that? Uh, I'll try. Well, now go on. Only one can come. The other will stay at the controls. Now start banging. Any luck? No, I... Wait, I I hear something. Something's opening the lock. The door now. I hear... Ah! Mullen. Mullen, what happened? Mullen, can you hear me? Mullen! 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 Oh, it's no use. They must have gotten him. Yeah, he was one brave little guy, that one. But suppose they have just got him in the control room. I mean... Maybe he's not dead. Well? Well, then maybe one of us could rush them. We could bang on the door and jump the chloro. Well, the first guy would be a cinch to die. Well, I... I would be willing to take the chance. You? Why not? I could try. Not you. I'm the strongest. I do it. Now, listen. Listen, you chaps. I'm an old man. I've got nothing to live for anyway. Suppose I throw myself at the ray gun. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Twenty minutes ago, there wasn't one of you who'd risk his little finger to get us out of here. Now you're falling all over each other. Maybe Mr. Mullen teaches us a lesson, huh? Yeah. Okay, Polly, give me the wrench. I'll start banging on the door. 
They say that selflessness is contagious. I guess maybe it is. I'd been a cynic all my life, a man who believed in nothing. Well, I'd come face to face with four human beings who proved that I'd been living a lie. I knew what I was going to do now. When the chloro came to investigate our compartment, I had it all planned. If only my poor, weak hands would hold out long enough. Ready? Ready. Ready. Here goes. That should bring him. Try again. Wait, wait, listen. Shh. It's at the door. Get ready. It's opening the lock. For poor old Mullen now. Uh, Steady. No! Let him have it! Wait! Stop it! Uh, It's not the floor! Wait! Good Lord! It's Mullen! Mullen? Get get the helmet off! That's it! All right, now lift! Mullen? Mullen, are you all right? I, I seem to be quite all right. Well, the chloros. Both dead. At least I hope so. Well, what happened? Well, I banged on the steam tube hatch and a chloro opened it. Yeah? I hit him with a cylinder. It blinded him, I, I guess, but didn't kill him. He grabbed me and pulled me into the cabin. In the struggle, he broke my transmitter. That, that's why I couldn't talk to you. Finally, I managed to, to club him down. Well, what about the other one? The other one almost got me. It must have heard the scuffle and came into the cabin with a ray gun. What I did, I I guess, was pure reflex. The cabin atmosphere was chlorine, of course, and the greenie didn't have a spacesuit on. Uh So I just turned on the oxygen valve in that spare tube. It was like spraying an insect with poison. Well, you're a brave man, Mullen. I'd have been scared to death. I... I... Mullen, what is it? Mullen. An hour later, false hands and all, I was at the controls of the ship, headed for Earth. We'd gotten rid of the chlorinating equipment and restored the oxygen naturally. Mullen was asleep in the cabin under a sedative. Or so I thought, until the cabin door opened. Mullen, for Pete's sake, get back to bed. No, I'm quite all right now, really. Do you mind if I watch how you operate the ship? No, no, not at all. Sit down. You know, I guess, uh... I owe you an apology. I didn't think too much of you. That's your privilege. (laughs) No, it isn't anybody's privilege, Mullen, to despise another... For years now, I've abandoned hope of finding any decency in human beings. I owe you a vote of thanks. You embarrass me, Mr. Stewart. I I didn't do it for any heroic reasons, I assure you. Far from it. Well, why did you do it, Mullen? That puzzles me very much. Well, Mr. Stewart, I'm a bookkeeper. Seventeen years ago, I left Earth to work on Arcturus. I never made much impression on anybody on Earth, although I wanted very much to have people like me. Well, about a year ago, I started to write to my family again. Don't ask me why. And then I asked for a leave of absence to go home after 17 years. Well, I still don't understand. It wasn't patriotism or love of a woman or money or any of those things. What was it? Mr. Stewart, 
Haven't you ever been homesick? You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features A Gun for Dinosaur by L. Sprague de Camp, a story of hunters in the bloodiest and most ferocious arena of all prehistoric Earth, where hunting reptile heavyweights is no job for human lightweights. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Sea Shoot, a story from the pages of Galaxy, written by Isaac Asimov, and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow, Stan Early, Bob Hastings, Mercer McLeod, Danny Ocko, and John Gibson. Your announcer, Bill McCord. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. And that's X-1 from February 8th, 1956, with The Sea Shoot by Isaac Asimov, and starring Bob Hastings, also in the cast, Dan Oko, John Gibson, Lyle Sudro, as heard on NBC. Let's take a quick break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back to Hollywood 360. We have a Facebook page for this show, right, Lisa? We do have a Facebook page, Hollywood 360 Radio. We love when people talk to us on Facebook. They send us messages and posts and photos and all sorts of good things. They let us know what they'd like to hear and right. give us advice, suggestions. We'd love to hear it all. And, they, so and that's where they can find out where there's thousands of pictures of you, there's right? There's thousands of pictures and we post our schedule there each week so it's a good place to go for information. Remember to like us on Facebook and let us know what you'd like to hear. Alright, in our next hour of Hollywood 360, we're going to tune into Boston Blackie and then Eve Arden stars in Our Miss Brooks. That's our next hour here, so don't go away. <laughs> 